In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever, and unto the ages of all ages, Amen. As we were saying in the introduction to the readings this morning, that... As we're saying in the introduction to the readings this morning, that this is the Sunday which is between the Feast of the Ascension and the Feast of Pentecost. So after Jesus' resurrection, we celebrate his resurrection for 50 days. On the 40th day of that is the Ascension. So since um, the resurrection is always on a Sunday, so then 40 days from a Sunday always lands on a Thursday, which is 10 days before the 50th day. And the 50th day is the Feast of Pentecost. So the 50th day is sort of the seventh Sunday um, after, after 40, 49 days. If you, if you count both Sundays, it becomes 50 days, right? The seventh Sunday after, um, after, Pente- after, uh, after the Feast of the Resurrection, if you don't count the Feast of the Resurrection. So today is the Sunday before Pentecost, after the Ascension. So Jesus has ascended to heaven, has made a place for us there, has said, don't be troubled, don't be afraid. That's what we talked about last week. And I go to prepare a place for you. And where I, that where I am, there you may also be. Jesus is saying, I can't stand to be parted from you for, a, for, for, for any time at all. However, just for the sake of preparing a place for you, I'm going. I'm just going to run ahead just a short time to be away from you just a short time. But don't be troubled. Don't be scared. And that's what we talked about last week. Now, Jesus has ascended to heaven and he told, he told his disciples, stay in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high, right? That's what he said to them as he was, as he was ascending. In today's gospel, Jesus says, ask, that you may re- and, and, um, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And a lot of us, myself included, have taken this verse completely out of context, you know, to suit my own purposes. So I'll ask for a new car, I'll ask for a new job. I'll ask for a new life, a new wife, a new something, right? I'm just kidding. Mary's not here, so I should be careful. These jokes are a lot more fun to say when she is here, right? But I've asked for a whole lot of things. But Jesus said this in a very particular context. I'm not saying that if you ask Jesus for stuff, he won't be happy to give it to you. I'm sure he will. However, I'm saying that let us look at this in its context. His disciples were so much attached to Jesus. They were so attached to him. And then they saw him ascend to heaven. He was kind of taken from them. And he says to them, ask and you will receive that your joy may be. What do you think they would ask for? What do you think the one thing? Now you've just spent three years of your life. You've dropped everything. You've invested yourself completely. You've left your business. You've left your job. You've left your family. You've left your children. You've left absolutely everything to follow this man. And now he's taken from you. And he says to you, ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. What are you going to ask for? You're going to ask for, for Jesus. You're going to ask for Him. We're going to ask for Him. The church is telling us, now in these 10 days between the Ascension and the Feast of Pentecost, ask for Him. Ask for Him. Look for Him. Seek Him. Desire Him. 
we often talk about the Holy Trinity, our God that we worship most accurately, if we wanted to say, the God whom we worship is the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father no one has seen at any time, but the only begotten, He has revealed Him. However, we have some idea of what a father is like because we've had earthly fathers and we've seen examples of fatherhood and maybe even in the church we see an example of fatherhood in the priest, in the bishop, in the patriarch and so on. And so on. The Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the one who took flesh and is like us. And actually, in fact, we are like Him. We are made in His image and likeness. But the Holy Spirit, gosh, who's the Holy Spirit? Nobody knows, right? And it's just kind of left ambiguous sometimes to us. Can I tell you something? Of the three persons of the Trinity, the one that is the closest to every Christian is the Holy Spirit. The one when people say, I have Jesus in my heart, properly said, they don't have Jesus in their heart because Jesus is a man and a God and he has a body and putting all of his body, all 70 kilos of him in my heart would probably blow my heart to bits. What I have in my heart is the Spirit of Jesus who is the Holy Spirit. Jesus says to his disciples, I will not leave you orphans but I'm going like, to like inject you with what? With me. With me. He gives us His own Spirit. So that we no longer, if Jesus is on the mountain praying and we're on, in the boat, we no longer have to scream and cry and then Jesus comes walking to us on the water. We no longer have to go and find Him in the synagogue. His parents don't have to lose Him in Jerusalem, go with the caravan and realize, oh my goodness, where's our 12-year-old son? And go back and find Him. They don't need to go and find Him because His, his very Spirit is inside us. The Feast of Pentecost is the climax, is the climax of celebrating the life of Christ. Everything is leading there from the Annunciation to His birth to His entry into Jerusalem to all of the Theophany, entry to Jerusalem, crucifixion, the resurrection, the passion, all of that, the ascension, all of that to give us His Spirit. You see, what's the whole story about? The whole story, this whole story of humanity, of our lives, of everything, of who we are, of everything is about communion with God. God created us to be in communion with Him always. We chose death, we wandered away. God says, I want to have communion with you even if it means I have to go to die with you. I want to be with you. If you choose death, I'm with you, right? And we talk a lot about that, about his incarnation, about his solidarity with us, his refusal to, to part with us, and so on. And that's why in Orthodoxy, we really don't like saying that God is separated from us. We say that separation from God is evil. Some people say separation from God is sin. It's not untrue, but we prefer St. Basil's, de Basil's definition. St. Basil says separation from God is evil. Because God is good. So if you remove all of God from something, then all you're left with is evil. God doesn't want to be, He doesn't want there to be anything that ruptures His communion with us. So when His disciples, who were used to Him being with them, and used to Him eating with them, and used to Him explaining to them, and it says so many things, He explained to them 
after the resurrection and he when he spent so much time with them we know of about 11 or 12 depending on the commentator occurrences where Jesus appeared to his disciples however the entire church believes that Jesus appeared to his disciples a multitude of times more than that and explained so much to them how much they loved him how much they enjoyed him how much they sacrificed to be with him you quit your job and you move to san diego not because of the weather not because you like to surf not because but for a job okay and you're tra chasing your dream dream job and you get the job and you do the job for three years and then one you know, Thursday morning, you walk up, you know, you get your, your Starbucks and you're going to your work and you get there and the office building is gone. And you're like, what? <laughs> and you look up and it's ascending to heaven, <laughs> right? You know, the disciples invested everything in Jesus. When he says to them, ask and you receive that your joy may be full, naturally, the one thing they will ask for is him. Church is telling us, ask for Him, for His Spirit to fill us in these days. Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit will teach us all things. Imagine, imagine that you could have access to all knowledge. He says the Holy Spirit will teach us all things. And in, in 1 John chapter 2, you know, every preacher out there, every teacher out there, every theological institute and seminary out there is going to hate me for saying this. He says, you have no need that anyone should teach you anything. Don't believe me? Go look it up. First John chapter 2, verse 20, and repeat it again in 27, because St. John knows we're not going to believe him. You see, when I was in my 40 days, you know, after you get ordained a priest in the Coptic Orthodox Church, you 40 days in the monastery learning how to do priest stuff. Right? So, this one bishop sat with us, and he saw that all of the new priests were four or five of us, right? Four other priests, myself five. And he saw that we were all kind of like shaken up and feeling like, wow, this priestly thing is going to be really tough. What did we get ourselves into? And he told us, look, 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 I'm going to tell you something. It's not complicated at all. You don't need to teach anybody anything. Because everybody that, that is um, out, out there has Jesus' spirit. Or if they're not Christian, Jesus' Spirit is working on them from the outside to bring them, to convict them, to bring them to Himself, for them to be united, baptized and chrismated, and receive His Spirit. So don't worry. You're, you're, you're just reminding people of the things they already know. And Jesus says that. He says, he says that. He says, I will give you the Spirit who teaches you all things and will bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. When I realized this, can I tell you the truth? I stopped reading Christian books. I still read secular stuff. I stopped reading Christian books. And I told myself, Lord, I want to learn and I want to learn from you alone. And I struggled and I struggled and I struggled to hear his voice and to learn from him. And it was a lovely experience. But after some time, I started to realize that God's Spirit speaks in Scripture and He speaks in the church and He speaks through Christian authors and He speaks 
through secular authors and through the newspaper and on the news. He's able to reach me through any medium. And I realized maybe it's not such a bad thing to read Christian books. But for a period of time, I thought to myself, if you are capable to teach me all things, then go ahead. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn, Lord. I'm going to be your disciple and I'm only going to learn from you. If you want to do that, have at it for a limited period of time and then carry on seeing and recognizing the beautiful Spirit of God who teaches us through preaching, through reading, through, through whatever. <laughs> Yesterday, Mary and I were, uh, Mary was a little worried about something. She was a little, little worried, so she said, let's, let's just go, let's just get out of the house. I said, sure, let's go for lunch. So it was late afternoon, we went for lunch, and she was really worried, and she was telling me what she was worried about. And then she says, let's pray. So we're driving, I'm driving, she's sitting next to me, the girls are in the back, let's pray. So she starts to pray. And then she says, okay, you pray. So then I pray, and uh, we're turning right, so I got out of the middle lane into the right lane, right? And as I opened my eyes from prayer, just kidding, my eyes were open the entire time while I'm praying and driving. Um, but Mary's eyes were closed. And as I shift into the right lane, this car in front of us has a bumper sticker that says, relax, dot, 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 God is in control. And um, I'm not a big fan of Christian bumper stickers, I have to tell you the truth, but that's a topic for another sermon. Um, but this was perfectly timed, like it was just perfect. So I, I start, I'm still praying and I start poking Mary and her eyes are closed, you know, and she's so fervently in prayer. And I start poking her and then I pointed to her and we both burst out laughing. So God is able to speak to you through anything, but it is God who is speaking to you. It's not the owner of that car who put that bumper sticker there that is speaking to us. It's God himself who is ordaining everything so that he can speak to us, so he can teach us. He will guide you into all truth. In Romans 8, it talks about how he intercedes for us. How many times have you told yourself, I don't know how to pray? I've said it a thousand times at least. I don't know how to pray. How many times have you wanted to pray and then just not known how to go about it? Multiple, multiple times I can say I was in those shoes. St. Paul tells us in Romans 8, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know how, what we should pray and how we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I want to tell you something. This whole business of hearing the voice of God is, is so weird to us for many reasons. One of them is because we're expecting him to speak English to us or Arabic or some other language because that's the language that we speak to other people. But what do we do when we speak? What do we do when we speak a language? When we take, we take thoughts, we take, we take something we've processed. Sometimes it's so primordial. It's, it's so deep inside of us. And we try to attach pre-existing ideas to it. Ideas that the, the, the other person already knows. Like if I use a whole bunch of words that none of you know, none of you are going to understand anything I'm saying, even if I'm speaking in English. So we take a thought, an idea, something which is untranslated inside of us, and then try to attach words to it that the other person would understand. Do you see how God doesn't need to do any of that? He can just make us understand. He doesn't need to explain it to us so that we are presented with an idea and then we understand it. 
He just makes us to understand. And that's why, I'm going to say something now, I hope, I hope you all don't take out like, you know, rotten vegetables and throw them at me. Some people believe that scripture, like the, that the Bible is like, you know, the Holy Spirit with a booming voice told St. Paul, write this down. And so he picked up a pen and paper and he started writing. No, we don't believe that. That's what they believe in some other religions and so on. That, that, that the scripture was delivered <coughs> word for word. And all, cre all credits to those other religions, that's why they believe that they can only read those, those scriptures in those words. Because if they were to translate them, they would be changing the words of God. We don't believe that. We believe that the Spirit of God moved the authors, inspired them. Everybody here, take a di big deep breath in. That felt good. I think I'm going to do it again just for fun. When you take a big deep breath in, what do you do? You inspire. Something goes inside and it fills you. And then what do you do? You expire, right? Hopefully not in the literal sense where you means another word for deceased, die, stay alive, right? But it comes out of you. If, you, if I want to speak clearly, what do I need to do? I need to... Take a deep breath in, and as I speak, the air goes through my, you know, airways, goes out through my voice box, you know, which vibrates in certain ways to make sounds, right? That's exactly, that's exactly how scripture is born. The authors were inspired by the Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit, with things that are too deep for words, but in the hopes of being able to communicate this extreme beauty to people, they, they attached words, ideas that were already known to their audiences to them. But what is holy is not the words. I'm not saying that scripture is not holy, that we don't call it the Holy Bible. We call it the Holy Bible. But it's not. It's the spirit that inspires them. And the same spirit dwells in you. So the words I'm saying are at best approximations of what the Spirit is trying to say because it's too deep for words. And that's how the Spirit teaches us to pray. May we learn how to pray in, in that way with utterings which are too deep for words. Finally, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you that you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of peace. It is His joy, His delight to give you and me peace. How does He do it? Does He do it by a, uh, a gift? Recently, my spiritual father, maybe about a year ago, said something to me. He said to me, Father John, every time that you turn around and you bless the people and you say, peace be with you all, the people do the sign of the cross and usually bow their heads or something, some form of acknowledgement that you're, you're bestowing peace on them and they are receiving the peace. He said, what is peace? Peace, peace is the hallmark of the presence of the Spirit of God. There is no peace without His presence. So if you are giving peace to the people, you are bestowing His Spirit upon them. 
But it's not you who's doing, my spiritual father was explaining to me, this is all from St. Cyril of Alexandria. It's not you who's doing, it is the Lord Jesus Christ doing in your shadow. This is what we understand, all the things that the priest does, you know, bread and wine and, you do the, and does the sign of the cross and bless the people and walk around with the incense. We believe that it is the Lord Jesus Christ who is doing in the shadow of the priest. Because he's so humble, he wants to use the members of his body, even the weakest of his members, myself, to do these actions. So it is the Lord Jesus Christ who is blessing. So he says to me, when you bless the people and you say, peace be with you all, you bestow peace, you bestow the spirit upon them. Do the sign of the cross upon yourself, receive yourself. It's not just for them, it's for you too. He is the spirit of peace doesn't mean that every time I have peace, it's from God. Because I have peace with a lot of things that are bad for me, just because they satisfy my desires and they don't require any kind of effort or struggle on my behalf. Right? So, but, there is no time when God is present and there is no peace. If there is no peace, know that, that God is, God has taken a back seat. He's still in the car, but he's taken a back seat. If there is no peace, all we have to do is invite him again. Invite him again. And that's what the church is telling us, that this time between the Ascension and the Feast of the Pentecost is a time for us to invite him. Find some time of quiet this week. Find, find five minutes, find ten minutes every day every day to get down on your knees and say, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Lord, fill me with your spirit. I know somebody else who prays every single prayer he prays in it, like the same way he says, our Father who art in heaven, in the same way he says in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, he says, Lord, fill us with your spirit. There is no prayer that delights the heart of God more. There is no prayer guaranteed to be answered more than this. I promise you, in the next week, the next six days between now and next Sunday, or seven days if you count today, pray every day, Lord, fill me with your spirit. God will answer you. And you will know that it was Him, and you will know that it is His spirit which is filling your life. And that knowledge may be something which you can communicate to others, or it may be too deep for words. Glory be to God forever and ever. Man, I've sinned. Forgive me, my fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. Please pray.